at the Women's Front, the internationalist podcast from the heart of the revolution. Hello everybody and welcome back to Chai at the Women's Front. It is me, Judy. And before we start with today's episode, I want to give you a short update on our situation here in Rojava. So in the last episode, we were talking about how Turkey started a new war on Rojava. And I just want to say that this has not stopped. They keep bombing the whole region with airplanes, drones, also suicide drones and uh, artillery. And a phenomena we realized, especially using social media, is that oftentimes when there's huge protests going on in a region or even a war, and this gets some attention in the media, after a while, it just becomes a normal thing. It gets normalized. People report about it or not, but eventually the reports, the reflexes and the anger against it becomes less and less until nobody's really talking about it anymore, let alone taking action. So shortly said, just because media coverage might get less or because other topics come onto the agenda, it doesn't mean that the problem is solved. And in the last few days, we were thinking, why are our feelings towards what is going on in the world so much dependent on the media? Are we not able to feel something over a longer period of time? Are we not able to struggle for something long term? I mean, it's obvious that our reflexes, our feelings, especially within the new generation, are very much influenced by consumption. Consumption of feelings on the social media platforms is something we should really reflect on because it keeps us from struggling in a serious way and from staying focused on our aim. So, yeah, before we start with today's episode, this is just what I wanted to share with you guys. So having said this, uh, we can dive right into today's topic because Uh, today's topic is also one that doesn't get as much attention as it should. It's actually a topic that is worrying us more and more in the last time. And it is also very much connected to our current situation here in Rojava, uh, connected to the Turkish attacks here. So uh, the idea to make this episode actually came to us the other day when we were eating lunch in a family's house in Karmishli, um, the mother of the family told us about her daughter, who is a guerrilla fighter in the mountains of Kurdistan. And we were speaking about the current situation here in Rojava, as well as in the mountains. So the mom said that she's very proud of her daughter and her daughter's friends resisting in the mountains. But At the same time, she's also very concerned about what is currently happening in the mountains. Now, what is really concerning, what the mom was talking about, is the the development that has been happening throughout the past two years, and more specifically in the past six months. And uh, it just recently got a bit more into the news. But basically... uh, The fights between the Kurdish guerrilla and the Turkish army have been going on for years now. But within the last two years, the war got onto a whole new level. 
since two years, the Turkish army is using chemical weapons and internationally banned bombs, which they are attacking the guerrilla with. So if you pay close attention, you will realize that the Turkish state is attacking the Kurdish freedom movement in pretty much every part of Kurdistan, be it North Kurdistan, what they call Turkey, or West Kurdistan, what they call Syria, or South Kurdistan, what they call Iraq. And this is what connects the pain of families from the different parts of Kurdistan. It is actually very common uh, in families in Rojava that either the son or their daughter or someone from the family uh, joined the guerrilla, just like in, uh, in the other parts of Kurdistan as well. So the, this mother's strong feelings towards the mountains is actually no surprise. Uh, having their children fight for freedom in the mountains is one reason why there is such a strong connection of the people of Rojava to the guerrillas in the mountains of Kurdistan. Uh, another one is, of course, that the liberation of Rojava, and especially the fight against ISIS, was only possible because of the support of the guerrillas. Uh, same in Sinjar, in South Kurdistan, when ISIS was getting into the region, it wasn't the security forces of the government or anyone. It was the guerrillas of the Kurdish freedom movement coming down from the mountains, pushing the uh, jihadists out of the region. Also, for example, the big battle in the city of Kobani in Rojava against ISIS was won through the experience and the, yeah, the determination of the guerrillas who left the mountains behind and came to the city to fight. But not only in the physical uh, liberation of, uh, of Rojava, the guerrillas played their role. Um, the paradigm on which the revolution of Rojava is built upon is of course the heritage of Abdullah Öcalan. Um, but the guerrillas in the mountains also have, uh, have a share in it. For example, when we talk of the Rojava revolution, as the women's revolution, then this is to a big extent due to the efforts of the guerrillas. And we can say that the women's liberation ideology, which the Rojava revolution is based on, uh, it had to come from the guerrillas. It had to come from the mountains. Why? Uh, because an ideology like the one of the Kurdish women's movement, an ideology that is so deep, needs physical and mental distance from the capitalist system. Distance from any capitalist influences which are existing, for example, in cities. So the, uh, the guerrillas and the mountains are, because they're actually living a fully new alternative way of life, uh, physically and mentally, far from the capitalist influences. And this is, uh, this is why also the women's science genealogy, for example, could get developed. Uh, developing something like this really needs uh, a deepness in thought. And this is possible in the mountains where the guerrillas live uh, almost only among themselves. I mean, in other places, it wouldn't have been possible. You cannot cut yourself off from the capitalist mentality if you live right in its heart. It needs distance. So 
Also, if you look into the history of the women's guerrillas of Kurdistan, they made great achievements because of uh, Abdullah Öcalan's theory of separation. That's what the theory is called. It's called the theory of separation. And what does this theory say? Basically, if you want to liberate yourself from capitalist and patriarchal influence, you need to separate yourself from it, mentally and physically. So this also led to interesting uh, developments within the women's guerrilla. The women fighters decided to build up their autonomous wing within the guerrilla organization. They saw, they saw the necessity of separating from the patriarchal mentality of the so-called dominant male. Uh, and in this way, the women didn't only build up their physical uh, the physical autonom autonomous spaces, but uh, decision-making, organizing, everything started to become autonomous. They said when the male friends are uh, physically there, while we are discussing, making decisions and so on, there will always be a certain influence, if you want or not. And to get rid of this, uh, for the women to develop their own methods, their own ways of thinking and expressing, um, basically to win back a true liberated women's mindset, the separation, the autonomy was needed. And with the liberation of the mind from patriarchal thinking, the development of such a profound ideology was possible. With the liberation of the mind from patriarchal thinking, the development of a science like genealogy, for example, was possible. So the women, uh, the women guerrillas were able to develop a depth and a richness in their analysis about patriarchy, about what actually a free woman is. And um, yeah, so what I want to say is the success of the Rojava revolution, of the women's revolution was thanks to the women's liberation ideology, which got developed by the guerrillas in the mountains of Kurdistan. And I think it's really important to understand the connection between the Kurdish women fighting in the mountains of Kurdistan and the women struggling and fighting in West Kurdistan, in Rojava. Because in this way, we will be much more able to understand how the situation and especially the current attacks on both regions are connected to each other. Because Turkey's attacks, whether on Rojava or on the mountains, are first and foremost ideological attacks. I mean, yes, they have a very physical outcome, but what they actually want to destroy is the ideology that empowers the people of the region, the ideology of women's liberation, uh, the ideology of common life of different nations and ethnicities together. So, yeah, actually, Long before Rojava was liberated, the guerrillas had liberated a good amount of their land in the mountains of Kurdistan. So the Turkish attacks on the guerrilla is not really something new. Uh, the war has been going on for years. But what is new is the intensity and the methods used by the Turkish state. So now, what exactly is happening in the mountains of Kurdistan right now? Well, 
The ongoing Turkish operation in the mountains started on the 14th of April this year. And since then, until now, there is a very high intensity, uh, high intensity war without a break. There's daily news of the Turkish attacks. And um, the, the Kurdish guerrilla actually published a report on this in October, stating that uh, since the beginning of the invasion until the 16th of October, uh, 2,476 times attacks with internationally banned weapons have been made. So 2,476 times in only uh, six months. Um, weapons uh, such as chemical weapons, tactical nucle nuclear weapons, thermobaric bombs and uh, phosphorus bombs, uh, those kind of weapons uh, have been used and are still currently in use uh, by the Turkish state against the Kurdish guerrilla. So uh, the use of uh, phosphorus bombs by Turkey, for example, is nothing new. Already in 2019, in the Turkish invasion of the city Serikaniye in Rojava, which is uh, until now occupied, the Turkish army has uh, used these weapons already. Uh, horrific photos of children with completely burnt skin were circling through the media at that time. But uh, also from the current chemical attacks in the mountains, videos were spread through the internet, uh, showing the effects of the uh, guerrillas that were exposed to these gases. And in this disturbing footage, you see young women and men suffering and slowly dying while showing symptoms of poisoning through nerve gases. Uh, what indicates this are cramps, muscular twitching, um, because of, uh, I mean, because what these nerve, nerve gases do is basically paralyzing the nervous and resp uh, respiratory systems of the human. So <clears throat> what you need to know is that in order to protect themselves from warplane bombings, the guerrillas are now, since some years, mostly living in caves inside of the mountains. Uh, in this way, they could protect themselves very well against the occupiers. So what Turkish soldiers are doing now is pumping these chemical gases into the entrances of the caves in order to suffocate the guerrillas slowly. Uh, there's also photos of this existing. And there you can see the Turkish soldiers standing in front of the caves, putting big tubes into the open spaces in the mountains and afterwards throwing bombs inside. So they add, uh, they add the explosions so that the gas is spreading faster inside the mountains. And all of this is documented. You can find it in the internet. So now the big question is, why is nobody intervening? Why is no state or bigger organization addressing this topic? Of course, Turkey, uh, Turkey themselves is denying these accusations, but uh, the guerrilla made several official statements calling for independent organizations to come there and make investigations. But Turkey won't let anyone pass there, of course. So, I mean, if these accusations were wrong, then why stopping independent investigations, right? Um, 
Lately, many activists in Europe have brought this topic on the agenda, demanding especially the OPCW to act. The OPCW, for those who don't know, it's the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. However, uh, they're claiming uh, not being able to do anything about it as long as no member state of them is demanding an investigation. And on a side note, ironically, Turkey is member of this uh, international organization. But um, yeah, also all the other member states don't really have any interest in investigations because they don't have an interest in the state getting weakened and a guerrilla force getting support. Why? Because they know very well that the guerrilla of the Kurdish freedom movement is opposing the capitalist uh, state system. So why support the force that is criticizing you? Um, the Kurdish freedom movement is in many ways a threat to the capitalist system because it is proposing an alternative system to the nation states. It is questioning the legitimacy of the nation states. It is criticizing the oppression and everything that comes with capitalism and state. So no nation state has an interest in supporting them. And that's the reason why no state is really speaking up about this. But the people are. The actions uh, trying to draw attention to this horrible situation are getting more and more, especially in the last weeks. Uh, we noticed that after that footage of the suffering guerrillas was published, the demands of the people got louder. And I actually think that this was somehow a wake-up call to the people. I believe many people couldn't believe or imagine that something like this is happening in this intensity. Because it's also difficult to think about it. It's emotionally exhausting to watch those videos only. But if we call ourselves socialists, feminists, leftists, internationalists, or whatever, it is our duty to do anything we can to support and defend these brave young people in the mountains fighting against the barbaric fascist force like the Turkish army. If you have ever watched uh, videos or seen photos of the Kurdish guerrillas where they are walking through the mountains or singing by the fireplace or just making fun with each other. Have you ever wondered what it is that makes you so attracted to them? Because I heard this from lots of friends. Even though you don't really know these people personally, you still feel like you do, or at least you want to. I mean, through the warm smile, through the confident eyes, they spread a certain feeling, you know? So I also wondered what it is. And I strongly believe it is the morals, the ethic that is speaking from those faces. It's the values and the principles that makes them so beautiful, that make them literally beautiful inside and outside. Because the guerrillas are not only fighting for themselves or for the, for the Kurdish people only. What they are fighting for are universal values of humanity, opposing colonialism, capitalism, imperialism. And like I said before, they are developing new forms of life, new forms of relationships, and all of this under the worst conditions. So 
this war in the in the mountains of uh, Kurdistan right now is a call for all of us. We need the guerrillas for our very own struggle. The revolution of Rojava needs the guerrillas. The women of East Kurdistan and Iran need the guerrillas. So we need to defend them. And this is what I want to tell this mother we visited the other day when we go and see her again. I want to tell her, don't worry, the people of the world are defending your daughter. The people from all around the world are rising up for all of your daughters and sons who are fighting in the mountains right now.